Udanda haledio sutiando. Kunahi dalamalo suriashia. Kuri mijo butuya nibida. my people, my people, I have spoken to you once, twice, and three times to let you know that I am your God and that you are my people. I accept your worship and your praise. My desire is to lift you up. I have said in my word that I want to set you with me in heavenly places. That's why I have come. My word declares that I have given you exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But I would exhort you, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance godliness, and to godliness patience, and to patience brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you fruitful, neither barren nor unfruitful, Oh, hallelujah. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things. Oh, God. But he that lacketh these things. Oh, God. Speak, Lord. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And he has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, be diligent to make your calling and election sure. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God. Praise be your name, Jesus. Praise be your name, Jesus. Oh, God, we love you. Praise be your name. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Let's just worship him tonight. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. We're going to read the parable of the prodigal son, and I've got a thought that I'd like to share with you coming from this particular parable. Luke 15, verse 11, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there rose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed his swine. And he would 
fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto the servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And we're going to stop there. Praise God, and you may be seated. The scripture that I would like to read again in your hearing is verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But he was yet a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. And kissed him. And I want to preach to you tonight on the subject, the road back to the Father's house. The road back to the Father's house. I see something in this particular parable that depicts the nature of God as well as any particular passage of Scripture that I know of. Of course, we know that this boy was a backslider and he had a memory of how it was in the father's house and he initiated the return back to his father's house. The father did not go out and beg for him. But after the initiation was made and he started back, verse 20 depicts the true nature of God when he was yet a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion on him and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now what happened was when he was a great way off, a long ways from home, the father was actually looking for him. He was excited about his return. It may have appeared to him that the father did not care. And perhaps the father was unconcerned in view of the fact the father did not go out and search for him. But nevertheless, while he was yet a great way off, the father was looking out the window or looking out the door and saw him making that return. And when the father saw that he had initiated that step of true repentance, he ran toward his son and fell on him and kissed him and took him into his arms and welcomed him back into the family of God. Now this is how the Lord deals with the backslider. A parable was given by our Lord concerning 
the man who has never come to God. And that particular parable goes like this, that there was a shepherd who had 100 sheep. And 99 of these sheep were in the fold. And one sheep was not in the fold. And the Lord heard the cry of that poor little sheep. And he left the 99 and went out and found the one lost sheep. Took him in his arms, bandaged him up, took care of him, and brought him back. And, of course, the atmosphere of both situations upon the return is the same. In the Father's house, the Bible says, they heard music and dancing, and also the Bible says they began to be merry. That's what happens when people return to God. In the other particular parable that Jesus gave, the Bible says the very angels of heaven rejoiced over the finding of the one sheep. And the Bible says because that one sheep is a sinner who finds his way to God, or God finds his way to him. We know that it is totally impossible for a man, whether he be a backslider or whether he be a man that's never come to God, it's totally impossible for him to find his way all the way back to the Father's house. You see, Jesus said, No man cometh unto me except my Father draweth him. There is a divine act of leadership that comes directly from the throne of God that enables you to find the Father's house. Nobody comes into the church by accident. Nobody just strays in and finds the Lord. Nobody is just accidentally born into the family of God. The Holy Spirit is at work outside of the doors of any church or any local assembly. While the local assembly may be classified as the church, and of course the body on the, uh, of Christ on the face of the earth is the church, the Holy Spirit does not work exclusively in the confinement of that assembly or that body. God, being omnipresent, is able to work outside of the body of a local assembly or even the worldwide church to bring people to himself. Brother Oggs preached such a marvelous message at our camp, and he entitled it, They Came From Afar. And it was one of the better messages that I have ever heard. It was just a remarkable message. While I am not trying in any way to repeat that message, because I am definitely going in a different angle, uh, a different route, and what he took, I would like to call your attention to a few things about his message that I feel that's so important for us to hear. Where would we be if Jesus had not have found us? You know, some of us really did come from afar. We came from afar. There is no doubt about it. Some of us would be in the worst corruption 
and the worst sin that you could ever imagine if Jesus Christ had not have come looking for us. Praise God. And he did indeed bring us from afar. Now, <clears throat> a scripture that I've used more on Sunday morning, perhaps, than any other time, I choose to read again tonight in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the 28th chapter. This is dealing with a person who comes to the truth. Isaiah, the 28th chapter. Verse 9, Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk, and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept. Line upon line, line upon line, here a little, and there a little. Now, Brother George has already made reference to a dictionary tonight. It might be wise for us to just consider the true meaning of a precept. What is a precept? Anybody have an idea of what a precept is? All right. What is a precept? A precept is a commandment. It is a portion of the Scripture. And what the Scripture is declaring to us, that when God comes to us, He doesn't just come down to us and all of a sudden bring the entire kingdom of God down to man. That is not how it occurs. The Holy Spirit is out searching, seeking, drawing. And there is a definite road that leads from total darkness and obscurity from truth back to truth itself. And it is baited along the way by commandments and precepts that are very beneficial to follow. You may not agree with this, but I definitely believe that God blesses a lot of people that have no intention at all to serve God. I think that there are wrong people who do right things and God blesses them. A typical example of that would be a man who... Uh, perhaps saw in the Scripture the benefit of paying tithes. So he began to tithe off of his increase. Now, whether this man has any intention to follow God or not, God will bless him. And when God does bless him, quite often he begins to see and understand the majesty and the greatness of God in the multitude of blessings that come His way. You see, some commandments are very easy to follow. Some are not so easy to follow. And what happens, God has so designed His kingdom that there are commandments that people can follow of almost every faith on the face of the earth. Now, I want to make it very clear here tonight I do not believe just because you attend church that you are saved. And I do not believe that just because you attend certain churches you are saved. But I do believe that, that there are commandments that are found in the Bible that regardless of what church you attend, that they are pretty easy to follow in that particular church. I believe God has designed it to be that way. Now, the Bible says, if this gospel be hid, 
It is hid to them that are lost. And there is no doubt God does not just come down and open up the mind and the understanding of individuals who are not honest and who are not sincere. But there are many honest and sincere people that are locked up in the bondage of traditional churches that do not teach the truth that God has made a way in order for them to follow certain commandments and find an escape from that traditionalism that is leading them to a bondage in hell. Now that may sound like strong language, but my friend, there is a whole lot in the Bible about following tradition and the rudiments of the world and such that does not lead into the kingdom of God. But God has so designed His Word that a man can find one commandment and live by it, and if he lives by that commandment and follows it, then God will provide another commandment. And then another, and then another, and then another. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, and line upon line, and line upon line. He is speaking very redundantly here, but this is the method in which he says a man finds the truth. Now, he's basically speaking about New Testament truth in Acts, the, not Acts, but in the 11th chapter of Isaiah 28. He said, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. And so God has so designed His plan that an honest, sincere person can in almost every walk of life find some commandments that are written in the Word of God that are very beneficial to follow. And so the man with an honest heart follows that which he understands. And so after he follows that, the Lord then leads him to another commandment. And then another, and then another, and then another. If in his progress toward God, he begins to stumble upon the commandments of the Lord, then the revelation of truth is taken away from him. And just as he finds the Lord one commandment of time, the revelation is also taken away one commandment at a time. Verse 13 says, But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. Why? Because he said, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, This is the rest. Wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. In other words, all the people that were exposed to the truth did not speak with tongues, and all the people would not accept the rest that comes from God. And so to those who would not accept it, and to those who would not uh, uh, follow uh, the, the commandments of the Lord, God began to take away the truth one commandment at a time until they had totally negated all of their, their consecration 
with, with God simply because of their failure to follow the commandments of the Lord. Now, you will find that what happens then, that even before there is an exposure to the truth, the Father, seeing the honesty of the heart, God seeing the integrity of the individual, and God wanting to save every man that he possibly can, he leaves the confinements of truth and goes out beyond the borders of a local assembly or the church of the living God, and there he begins to deal and talk with that lost man who has never perhaps even heard of truth. But this is the way that God begins to deal. And so God begins to direct him through one commandment at a time until the individual finds his place in truth or in the house of God where there's dancing and there's joy and there's music that is unlimited. And I use the term unlimited because sometimes it really appears that way, at least around here. Praise God. And I'll tell you, this may be a new experience to some of you. You have perhaps come into the apostolic assembly for the first time in your life. And I don't believe that you're here just by accident. I believe that some divine hand of God led you right here. You may have said, well, I just saw the sign, decided I'd walk in. Some relative invited me. Some friend invited me. But I don't really believe that it's that way. I believe God sees the honesty of your heart. And God was dealing with you a long time before you saw the sign or before you received the invitation from somebody to come. I don't believe that you come into the kingdom of God just by invitation alone. The Spirit of God must direct you. The Spirit of God must call you. Now, when we look in the Bible, let's turn to John, the first chapter. We find a very good example when Jesus began his public ministry. He began to call out his disciples. The Scripture tells us that, that he began to call Peter and James and Andrew and John and various ones. Then after all of that, the Bible says in verse 45 of John, the first chapter, Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. In other words, he received an invitation from a man by the name of Philip. Nathaniel did. And Philip said, Will you come and see this Christ, this one that cometh from Nazareth? He said, Can there any good thing come from Nazareth? The reason was because Nazareth had a very bad reputation. And they were not noted for producing excellent, outstanding citizens. Now in verse 47, the Bible says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Evidently, Nathanael was a good man. And the Bible says, in whom is no guile. Verse 48, Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? In other words, how do you know me? Now Jesus knows everybody. There is no doubt about it. You see, God sees everything that you do, both good and bad. Everything that you do. 
But Jesus saw in Nathanael that there was no guile in him. But this startled Nathanael. And he said uh, unto him, Whence knowest thou me? In other words, how did you know that I was a good, honest, sincere man? I have never received an invitation to come and visit with you. I've never seen you. This is my first trip. Philip invited me to come here to your presence. But the Lord said, Oh, I saw thee, Nathaniel, while you were under the fig tree. I saw you there. Now, I am not really for sure what the Lord is making reference to. But God is commending this man that he indeed was a good man. That in him there was no guile. And evidently God had met with him previously, perhaps in a place of prayer. Maybe this was Nathaniel's place where he went to communicate with God. And so as a result, Jesus saw him and he said, You didn't really come here as a result of Philip's invitation. I was already talking with you and dealing with you and leading you and directing you to be my disciple before you received this invitation that Philip formally gave to you. You see, God was already out there searching for him. God had already found him. Praise God. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the king of Israel, or the uh, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God descending and ascending, or ascending and descending upon the Son of God. And of course, if you read back in the book of Genesis concerning the story that's given relative to Jacob and him wrestling, I say wrestling, the time that he went to sleep and God gave him a vision of the ladder that reached from earth to heaven. The Bible tells us that the angels of God ascended and descended upon that ladder. And that ladder was indeed a type of Jesus Christ who was born of a virgin Mary made of a woman earthly in a fashion. But yet he also was connected with God. And the chapter that we're reading from here, John, the first chapter, certainly declares the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what God is saying to Nathaniel, Oh, you think it's great just because I visited you under the fig tree and because I was able to tell you. But now, you are now in the presence of your Lord and Savior and you're going to see the kingdom of heaven open unto you now. Now one mistake that a lot of people make is this, and this is a real tragedy. But a lot of people can come in contact with God and they have indeed a walk with God. We could not deny that. They actually have an experience with God, but because they have an experience with God, they interpret that experience as full Bible salvation. And God is out there dealing with them, and the purpose of His dealing is to bring them into full Bible salvation. This is the reason why the, the apostles, upon recognition of people who had genuine walks with God, 
they begin to question them relative to that walk with God. A typical example is in Acts, the 19th chapter, when Philip went to Ephesus and he found certain disciples of John the Baptist. He asked them this important question, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? In other words, he recognized that these people were true disciples of the Lord. But they only knew the baptism of John the Baptist. In other words, they were limited in their knowledge of truth. And he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. His second and also very important question, unto whom were you baptized? They said, unto John's baptism. Then the Bible says, Paul said, but John very baptized in water unto repentance, saying that there's one mighty than I coming after me, and that you should believe on Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, while they uh, heard this, then they decided that they needed to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, Paul laid his hands upon them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And they spake with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. In other words, it came line upon line. It came precept upon precept. God sprinkled out the truth to them. God was reaching out past the confinements of the body, the, the, the body of Christ upon the face of the earth, past the confinements of a local assembly. He was out there working, and he dealt with those people and talked with those people, and they followed the commandment that they had knowledge of. But it was that following that also laid the foundation that brought them on into the kingdom of God. God directed their paths. He directed their paths. Now, I'd like for you to turn with me, if you would, to one, the 139th Psalm, which I feel is a very, very important psalm. <clears throat> o Lord, Thou searchest me, and known me, thou hast searched me, pardon me, and known me. Thou knowest my downsittings and my uprisings. Thou understanding, thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful to, for me. In other words, what he's saying, I don't understand, God, but this is the way it is. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I free from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven... Thou art there, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light unto me, yea, the darkness hideth not. From thee. In other words, God, even in those sinful, dark areas of our experiences with the world, 
He's saying, God was out there and He was able to see beyond the darkness and He was able to find us. You know, I look at my past and where God has actually brought me from. Now, please understand, I'm not standing here boasting and saying that God has made something great out of me because I really don't feel that way. But I'll tell you what, I feel a lot better about myself than I did before Jesus found me. Do you remember where you are, were when Jesus found you? you? You remember how far away that, that God brought you from? And He was out there. I mean, He was really out there searching. He was, he was out there seeking. You know, I, I hear some stories from some new converts that come to the Lord, and some of those stories just amaze me. You know, I believe that once you find the Lord, that you are to, to, to walk in, in all the light that you have, and you are to grow in knowledge and in grace with God. But God has so designed His plan because of His love and mercy and compassion that the man who just finds God tonight, even though he has not perfected his life, and perhaps he should lay aside a lot of sin and a lot of weights, that might beset him. God has so designed his plan that if that man makes an entrance in the kingdom of God by the new birth, that that man is heaven bound. You know, we can take a man and baptize him in Jesus' name, and he comes out by the water, and he begins to speak with tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, and we all rejoice. Why? Because the Bible tells us that even the angels in heaven rejoice. And when we leave, we say, Oh, Tom, doesn't it feel good to know that you're saved? Oh, Bill, doesn't it feel good to know that you're saved? Oh, Janet, doesn't it feel good to know that you're saved? And we actually mean that. And yet, on the other hand, we, we certainly recognize that there's a whole lot of growing that that person needs to do in the Lord. But that's just the way the Lord works. And He has so designed His plan that you can make an entrance in the kingdom of God and have full assurance of salvation and a trip to heaven if the rapture takes place or if God chooses to take you. Praise God. That's just the, that's the compassion that God has. You know, sometimes we look at God as being an all-powerful God that's ready to strike people down. But that is really not the nature of God as proclaimed in the Scripture. God wants to save every person that He possibly can. I mean, every person that He possibly can. Now, I'm going to give you something to chew on here tonight. You may disagree with me. This may be something that you've never heard before, but I'd like for you to turn to, to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. And I just want to, I want to give, give you something to think about. Uh, this would be something for you to give careful thought in, especially if you're in a position in which you're not praying the way you ought to pray. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, says, Wherefore, leaving the principles and the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God, and the doctrine of baptism, and of laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted of the good word of God, and of the powers of the world to come. Now follow very carefully 
Verse 6, If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Now, the Scripture is telling us that once a person falls away from the truth, they cannot be renewed. Now, I personally think that a man can backslide and at the same time not fall altogether away from God. Now, I draw that conclusion from what the Scripture teaches. I personally believe that once you fall away from God altogether, you cannot be saved. And you see, that's what Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 28, that passage of Scripture when he speaks of how the truth is taken away, one precept at a time. You see, the devil will do everything in his power to keep you from coming into the church, and once you get in, he'll do everything in his power to push you out. You see, the nature of God, however, is to keep on dealing, keep on talking. That's the nature of God. Keep on seeking. Now, this passage of Scripture is mentioning the possibility of a person to fall away to the point that they cannot be renewed again under repentance. Now, I personally think that, according to the Scripture, that a backslider, a person who has found God, as the prodigal has found God, and then they leave the Father's house, that God keeps His eyes open, and He eagerly awaits that return. And that man certainly is not rapture ready. He's not ready to go to heaven. But nevertheless, he is still classified as a child of God. Now, he's a disobedient child of God. And disobedient children, according to the Scripture, will not be saved. But nevertheless, he is he's looking, the Father is, he's longing for that individual's return. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives a parable of five wise virgins and five foolish. And the Bible says that the five foolish woke up at, at the cry that came at midnight, which said, Give us of your oil. No, the cry that went at midnight said, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And those five foolish woke up and they realized that they did not have sufficient oil. And they said, Give us of your oil, for our oil is gone out. A careful study of the Greek and other translations, it does not say our oil is gone out. It says our oil is going out. It wasn't gone altogether. It simply means that they were in the process of losing it. And I'm not here to say how much Holy Ghost it takes to go to heaven. I'd like to say that all of us and I think this is a sure way for all of us to, to get there is just keep all in our vessel we can get. Amen. Keep it all in until it's flowing out and running over all time. As Paul spoke about dying daily and renewing the inner man every day in the Holy Ghost because the outer man perishes. But I will say this, friend. I've talked to a lot of people that I thought had completely fallen away. They were branded by church members and other people as being reprobates. Unreachable. 15, 20, 30 years away from God. And I've talked to some of those individuals while I began to talk with them. Tears 
began to stream down their cheek. I had a man in La Crosse, Wisconsin, that I talked with that found the Lord 30 years at an apostolic meeting down in Viola where Brother Omer Shepherd was preaching. And do you know what? He said he hadn't been to church since that time. But as I began to talk to him, tears streamed down his cheeks. And I asked this individual, I said, Now it's been a long time since you found God. According to the Scripture, if a man falls away, he cannot be saved. Now I didn't tell him that. But I said, You're feeling God right now. Let me ask you. In these 30 years of being away from the family of God and the Father's house. Tell me something about yourself. And you know what he said? He said, my wife doesn't know it, and neither do any of my children know it, but there hasn't been a day that's passed what I didn't kneel someplace while they weren't looking. And I prayed. And I asked God, to someday save me. You see, that's the nature of God. If He sees that you are returning, if He sees that there's a good intention, if He sees that there's faith in your heart toward Him, and He's going to leave that place and He's going to come out and He's going to deal with you. Thirty-something years But I've also, my friend, gone to people who had backslidden, been out of the church only a short period of time, and I've talked with them. And you couldn't get a tear, no way you. You could wring their head off like wringing out a wash rag, and you couldn't get a tear out of them. What was the difference? The difference was one man, one man understood the benefits of Calvary. Even though... The road back to the Father's house was a long, long journey. But God met him out there. And God conversed with him. And God talked with him. And God had hope that I can take him back where the music is playing. And where the dancing and the party is going on. You may say, oh, you mean church is a party? In the scripture, Jesus gave a parable and he likened it to a wedding feast. Now you'd think if you entered into the average church in Madison on Sunday morning that the parable should have gone like this and Jesus likened the kingdom of God into a funeral. But that's not the way He did it. There was a big feast. People were eating and hearts were happy and Everybody was merry. Friend, that's the way church ought to be. Praise God.
Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Let's continue to worship the Lord then. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. I told this story once or twice, but I just feel led at this particular time to tell this story. There was a lady on a Sunday morning down in Cushion, Texas in 1963, hot summer uh, Sunday morning as I preach. She stepped out. I've never seen her before in my life. She came to the altar, and closely behind her was a husband who had a cast on his leg, and he was dragging that. He was trying to keep up with her. You talk about praying when they fell at the altar. They began to weep and cry and pray and seek the Lord. And, of course, after service was over, I began to talk with them, and they both told me, said, no, we've never been into an apostolic church in our life. I thought they had because of the way they prayed and the openness in which they sought the Lord. You know, some people you have to kind of school them or they have to be around it and, and such. And you have to admit if this is your first trip here, this is very unfamiliar to you and perhaps strange. And and, and maybe you don't want to do what we're doing. That's, that's all right. I, I, I didn't want to do it either. I, I don't understand, really. And if you feel out of place, don't you worry, friend. The first few times I went, I felt out of place too. But... Uh, now, they were just worshiping the Lord, and they were praising God. And so I found out their last name was Miller, and they told me, they said they lived up on a hill not far from our church. And so when I began to talk with them, the wife, Darlene, began to cry. And she said, well, Pastor Grant, she said, it's a long, long story. She said, we're here just by accident, I guess. She said, you know, we moved down here a couple of months ago, and the pipeline, they were running a pipeline through East Texas, a lot of oil in that area, and he was traveling with the pipeline, and they just kind of jumped from house to house, and they had a little trailer they'd pull along, and and uh, they finally landed in a house up behind the church up there, and while he was working on the pipeline, and uh, they he hooked a big chain around one of the pipelines that slipped and caught him in the leg, and, and the, the drag line, or what they were using, the horse just lifted him right up and almost pulled his leg off. So uh, he was not able to work, and he was placed uh, in in the hospital and later in back at home and in bed. And they just saw the church uh, sign there and decided, well, it's close. If uh, his name was Bud, if Bud gets hurting, and Darlene said we can we can leave and run back up the house and even rest. So uh, we're just kind of here by accident. But you know, I found out that morning it really wasn't by accident. You see, this woman's father was a denominal preacher in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, she was a ladies' auxiliary leader in the denominal church. And one night there, in the blackness of the night, as Bud worked at a steel mill there, uh, some intruder came and pried open the window and, and came in and, and assaulted this lady. And... and uh, uh, she was so brokenhearted about it. She went to her dad, who was a pastor, and and she told a few other ladies in the church. And the word got out in this denominational church. And her dad was a uh, uh, pastor of quite a few wealthy people. And the word got around. And so he came to his daughter and said, uh, uh, "Darlene, said uh, you've been a great asset to this church, and you're my daughter. And I don't want to offend you, but 
you know, it's just there's a just a kind of a shadow cast over you as a result of this, and it'd probably be best that we just remove you from this position. And so he took her out of the ladies' auxiliary position. It broke her heart so much that uh, Bud quit his job, and they decided they'd just travel on the pipeline. So they began to travel on the pipeline, and and uh, then he broke his leg and, and suffered a setback there and was placed there in the in the house for a given length of time in the bed and then finally was able and he came out to church and here he found the Lord. As I began to question Bud and Darlene that Sunday morning, though, I found out one thing as I began to question them. She said, you know, this is mighty, mighty strange. She said, you've... Uh, you've Mentioned a few things in your message today that's really touched my heart. She said, you know, I, I was reading in the Bible, in the book of Acts, about salvation and a few things, especially Acts, the second chapter, when the Holy Ghost was first given. I went to my father, and my father says, oh, well, you know, that was way back there. That was only for uh, the apostles. And she said, I found in the Scripture in the book of Acts where people outside of the apostleship received uh, the Holy Ghost. And then he told me, said, well, it was just for the Jews. And she said, I read about some Gentiles that received it. And uh, so <clears throat> he told her, he said, Darlene, said, uh, you know, uh, you were raised in this church and you need to be happy in this church and everything's all right. But she said, I specifically remember getting down on my knees and praying, God, if there's anything to all this, I really want you to reveal it to me. I want you to open my understanding, open my mind. She said, now from that day on, she said, things began to go bad for me. And she said, I questioned many, many times why so many things went bad. She said, I, I questioned this intruder coming into the house. And she went on and on and on with all the details of the, of the, of the different things that happened. And uh, she said, now... She said, I understand now. She said, after hearing you preach this morning and after feeling what I felt at the altar while all this happened to me. She said, when I prayed that prayer, she said, I believe that God came out searching for me. She said, it's been a long, long way from Fort Worth, Texas to this little community, to this old-fashioned altar. But you see, that's the nature of God. That's the way it works. He loves you and He cares for you. But He's vitally interested in your salvation, friend. And sometimes He has to get you by the shoulders and shake you. Sometimes He has to allow adverse circumstances to come that will pry you out of your path. But friend, if you're honest and you're sincere, God's ultimate purpose is to lead you into a house where there's music and dancing and a feast going on. Where you can have joy and peace in your soul. He wants to pry you out of tradition. Take you out of false doctrine. You may have church top for a long time. Maybe God brought you here tonight. Just so that you could find real truth. Praise God. Oh hallelujah, hallelujah. You may say preacher, you sound like you really believe. What you're preaching is right. Friend, if I didn't, I'd be searching just like you're searching. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. I'd like for you to stand at this time. Oh.
Hallelujah. We have been so blessed here tonight. The Lord has come and we worshiped and some danced in the Spirit and some ran. We were able to respond to each other with hard, warm handshakes. We heard the choir sing and we were able to give to the purpose of the Lord. God has just blessed us such a great way here tonight. He ministered to us in tongues and interpretation. Something that you don't find in a lot of churches. Friend, it's scriptural. Read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. It comes right out of the pages of the Bible. But the greatest miracle of all is a miracle that God wants you to have. You see, God has been out in the darkness, as the psalmist said, where there's no light. Why does He go out there? Because He sees your sincerity. He sees your honesty. He wants to do something about it. Why has He allowed some adversities to come your way? To shake you so that you would open your eyes to a greater truth. Well, I'm not here to say that you don't have a walk with God. But I will join in with the Apostle Paul. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? We don't want to discredit any church for doing anything that's right. But oh, what a shame if we stop short of preaching all the truth to an honest, sincere heart. Two or three years ago, in October, I received a call from the university hospital. There was a man there dying with leukemia. He gave me a call and he said, I need to talk with you, Pastor. Happened to be here at the church, and so he got his daughter-in-law to drive him over here at the church. I remember I was sitting here on the front pew talking with Brother and Sister Rutherford, who were contemplating moving here to help us open our Christian school. And in he walks. So I began to talk with him, found out his name was Warren Mickelson. He was from up in the Rio area. Asked him where he attended church, and he told me where he attended church. Asked him why he was coming here. He said, well, you came over to the VA hospital. Lay hands on a friend of mine who was in the room, and this friend was dying of cancer. He was given only three years to live. Not three years, pardon me, three days to live. Only three days. You lay your hands on him. He said after three days, he was checking out of the hospital. He was healed. So he said, Charlie Peckham gave me a call the other day and told me, said, Warren, you remember how the Lord healed me? 
He said he can heal you also. And so Warren said, well, here I am. And I said, well, you're not a member of the apostolic church. Why are you here? He said, well, I've tried my best to live according to all the commandments that our church teaches. But when I talked to our pastor about a deeper experience with God, he said, you know, I might not be healed. I'm not for sure I'm ready to go to heaven. He told me, he said, well, Warren, you've been in this church all your life. You just have to accept some things by faith. Yeah, but he says, I don't pray and I don't seek the Lord and I want to be saved. He said, oh, you're saved. You were confirmed, you know, way back when you were 12. And he went on and on and on. But he said, somehow, Pastor, I, I really want to be healed and I want to be saved. What was God doing? Line upon line and precept upon precept. I asked him, I said, have you been praying? He said, have I been praying? I've been asking God, Lord, live or die, I want you to save me. Whatever it takes, save me. So I began to talk with him. We established a home Bible study in the hospital with him. We brought him over here at church. While his body was hot with fever and baptized him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was visited by his pastor who told him that speaking in tongues stuff, you don't have to do that. But he said, it's in the Bible, pastor. He said, you know, Brother Grant, when you're faced with death, he said, you really do look at things Squarely in the face. You look at issues like you never looked at them before. You cut, up, you cut out all of that pretending and hypocrisy and stuff. He said, I need the Holy Ghost. I remember him asking me if he would be healed like his friend Charlie. And I, I told him, I said, I, I can't guarantee that. Because you see, every man will die one day. There's going to be something that's going to take you out of this world. I don't know if it's going to be this leukemia that you have or something else. But you will die. The best thing to do is to get your heart right with God, as the Scripture says. And, of course, all of you who have been here at this assembly for any length of time, you know exactly what happened. It was in January that Warren Mickelson went out to meet the Lord. But <clears throat> I remember very clearly a brother coming to me and telling me, he said, Now, Brother Grant, Warren has not received the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's not spoken in tongues. Now, the Lord told me the other night when I was praying that he was going to save him. Now, the Lord told me that. Now, the night that this brother passed away, Warren Mickelson passed away, this brother and I were up the hospital, and he was right at the point of death. And I very well remember him looking at me and said, Brother Grant, you know, I haven't spoken with tongues yet. I haven't received the Holy Ghost. He said, I just don't think the Lord's going to take me until such a time that I receive the Holy Ghost. He said, I've done everything I know to do. 
Why hadn't he received the Holy Ghost? Friend, this man was in bad shape. He could hardly walk. He had a fever for three or four solid months, real high. He was on chemotherapy. Made him so sick most of the time I saw him, he's vomiting. He lost his hair. He was skin and bones. He'd get out of breath just talking to you. And I remember after we went home from the hospital that night, his wife called me and said, Warren just passed away. But his wife was of another faith. And I remember her telling me, she said, you know, I don't know why I want to tell you this, but there was a strange thing that happened to Warren just before he died. I said, what, Mrs. Mickelson? She said, it was the strangest thing I've ever seen. She said, you know, Warren, all of a sudden his eyes got real glassy and he looked scared. And to my amazement, he raised up in the bed and he held out his hand. He says, no, 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 you can't take me now, he said. He said, no, Holy Ghost. He said, you can't take me now. Then he peacefully laid back on the bed to rest. Then he opened his mouth, she said, and he began to speak this strange language. Oh, so strange, she said. She said, it sounded like he was out of his mind. I thought, oh, he's just hallucinating now. Something's wrong with him. But she said after he spoke this strange language like he was out of his mind for a while, without even raising up, he just lifted up his hands and he said, Now, Holy Ghost, you can come and get me. And he closed his lips and sealed his eyes. You don't think God is searching for souls? You don't think He cares about your salvation? You think He's ignoring your problems? You think those pressures that are about to destroy you, that He's, oh friend, He's out there where you are. And He wants to do something tonight. He ran to the pinnacle, but not only did he run. Run. Friend, when he found him, he fell upon him and kissed him and welcomed him. And that's the nature of God. With open hands, he stretches out to you tonight. Some are down here praying already at the altar, but there is a full altar waiting for you tonight. All you have to do is come to yourself and look toward the Father's house and say, I will return. I guarantee you, friend, if you'll run toward Him, He'll run toward you. If you'll take one step toward Jesus, He'll take two toward you. If you get honest with Him, friend, He'll be more honest with you. 
Would you reach out right now and accept the hand of the Lord and come? There is a place to kneel and pray. And we have Christian workers throughout the assembly that'd like to step right out with you. Come on right now. The altar's filling up. Why don't you come on and accept divine leadership from God? Why don't you let Him lead you right on into that experience that offers peace and rest? Come on right now. Come on. still time and there's still room for you to come. Why don't you come on and kneel? Why don't you come on, folks? To our members, why don't you come and find somebody to pray with? Saints of God, get around somebody. where you are. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. 